The Articulate Coven is the original, unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire and Anne Rice's Immortal Universe from AMC and AMC+. Welcome to The Articulate Coven, the unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice and the Vampire Chronicles, as well as the Vampire Lestat, including the upcoming TV show, I am Joel Sharpton, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host... Ashley Wright-Eiler. Ashley, so glad to talk to you again. A little faster uh, turnaround this time than we have been having. (laughs) We're going to try to speed things up as we go along here. But it's exciting because things are finally happening. You know, you and I have been, like, looking at this now almost, uh, it occurs to me, almost two years now. Not quite. We're still a a couple months away from two years, but... um, Interestingly, and I'm going to try to put these links in the show notes as well, but uh, it was um, uh, almost two years ago now, The Hollywood Reporter reported that Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles uh, had been returned to her uh, for uh, the rights. The author says she's regained the theatrical rights and that the television that television is where the vampires belong. This was announced um, in, let's see, that would make it uh, November 26th of 2016. Uh, Hollywood Reporter reported on this and had some quotes directly from Anne and from Christopher. Um, Universal and Imagine Entertainment had the film rights to the book series, but that had fallen away because they hadn't been able to come up with anything and so Anne announced that she and her son were going to be pushing ahead and that they were going to be working together as executive producers on a series so that was our first bit of news then it was in April so we go from November until April with basically nothing and then then suddenly in April it was announced uh, again I'm referring to the Hollywood Reporter here uh, it took about five months or so she announced that an 11 book series and it's interesting, and we'll talk about the specific books again here in a moment that are that are mentioned, but the 11 books from the series were optioned by Paramount Television and Anonymous Content, uh, and they indeed brought on both Anne and Christopher as executive producers for the series. And it was right around that same time uh, that we had... Um, another executive producer announced in the person of Brian Fuller. Since that time, Brian Fuller has fallen away. Um, you and I have never, we talked about the fact that we were excited to see him brought in some of the past series that he's worked on Hannibal and pushing daisies. And Mm -hmm. he's, he's got a great pedigree. We haven't really discussed the fact that he's no longer in this series, but he's got a habit of, of signing on to big named big, um, you know, high profile series and then sort of fading out somewhere in the process. Now, whether that's because he's perhaps a difficult auteur to work with or, um, if they just butted heads creatively, or maybe he gets bored when, when things stall and don't get moving right away. I'm not sure what the, the deal is, but he does seem to have a habit of that. Don't you think? I, yes, absolutely. And I do think it, I mean, I, I like to think it is because things stall out and, and you have, I mean, I think it's common. It happens a lot. I think with, um, when things are in early, early pre-production, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything to be alarmed about or anything to be like, to like have an overreaction to, but I definitely think it probably has a lot to do with projects kind of stalling out and having to wait and then signing on to other projects. So, you know, you have to remove yourself from it. You know, you, you, if something's moving more quickly, there's more urgency to be a part of that newer project that's moving along more quickly than something that's taking a little bit more time to coalesce. This is a huge thing too. Like you're talking, I mean, 11, 11 novels being involved in it. I mean, this is potentially a, a huge project. So 
I, I can totally see why <laughs> the timing of it is uninspiring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was not I was not particularly upset when it came out that Brian Fuller had fallen away. Uh, I I do think he has a history of combative relationships with networks, which I when they first announced him because I do want this series to live and I want it to have a long life. And I, I think particularly to the beginning of the walking dead, uh, you know, there was a big kerfuffle and, um, the executive producer of that series at the time, Frank Darabont, and he was the showrunner, basically got run off by AMC. And as somebody who really loved that source material, I was terrified at what might happen in relation to that. And in, in fact, it turned out that the series sort of wandered for a season or two before it found its feet again. Um, I just don't want that to happen to this. I love these vampires and I love these stories more than basically any other fiction. And it, it means a great deal to me that they get it right. So um, the fact that Brian came and went was no big deal to me. The fact that we get this new announcement, though, and this is really the reason for this episode, Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles lands at Hulu. Uh, and this was reported fairly recently, uh, the middle of July, as a matter of fact, by a Hollywood reporter. Again, they broke the story. Uh, almost two years after being first put into development, Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles TV series has found a home. In a competitive situation with multiple outlets pursuing the project, Hulu has landed Vampire Chronicles. By the way, so far in all of the official reporting, that is the way that it's been referred to. No the and no mention of Lestat specifically. Just it's referred to as Vampire Chronicles. Now, who knows what the name of the eventual series would be, but that's how they are referring to the project officially. Um of course, the streamer Hulu is home to Emmy Darling, The Handmaid's Tale, uh, and uh, now they are home to season one of Castle Rock. Those are the two series that we're going to be discussing a little bit later on in this episode. First off, um, Ashley, how long have you been using Hulu as a service? I, I know you use it now because we've talked before on this show about The Handmaid's Tale in particular, but uh, how long have you been signed up for Hulu? I think probably like four or five years. Like really, yeah, I've been I've been using Hulu for for quite a while, maybe, maybe like four years. I think five might be an exaggeration. Um, I use I mean I use Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, so I use all three of those of those streaming services personally. I have no issues with Hulu, though I will say a couple like maybe like a year ago I was really unhappy with how slowly things loaded and all that jazz. But that's probably more a reflection of my lack of updated technology than anything else but since i've been streaming through the xbox one and such it's been great i haven't had any trouble with it so i'm a big fan of hulu i actually i i really i mean i have loved the handmaid's tale it's fantastic and i'm excited about all the you know with these streaming services producing so much original content like so much that there's huge amounts if you haven't um scrolled through the original content on all these streaming services it's pretty impressive and it's becoming quite a competitive option for production companies to kind of maybe work on projects that wouldn't have gotten picked up by network television or you know you got to have other options besides hbo and showtime and such you know what i mean to produce these large epic kind of things no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I was super skeptical of Hulu. I I tried them 
not even signing up. I just tried like the free version right after they launched where you could basically watch like last night's television or like last week's TV shows. Um, I I tried that a few times and the interface always seemed clunky. It bothered me that they played the same advertising over and over again. And uh, in general, I was like, this is not for me. This is not what I want in my streaming services, I'll wait and I'll binge them like I do on Netflix. And then even when they started with original content, I can't remember what the first thing, but I saw something pretty early on that Hulu did that was original. And I, it was just very low quality uh, compared to at the time, you know, Netflix, everybody thinks about house of cards, but the first thing that I remember seeing on Netflix that was original content was Lily hammer and Lily hammer was not, I don't think originally produced by Netflix. It was one of those like foreign television shows that they purchased for the American audience basically, but it was shown to me as a Netflix original. And it was a show that Kelly and I had fallen in love with. I really enjoyed and and she did too. And so I thought that's high quality television. That's what Netflix can do right out of the gate. Whereas Hulu was sort of stumbling and making this like low grade, um, I don't know, it felt like the kind of thing that you would see on cable access shows, you know, (laughs) not not something on HBO or or a high quality pay network. So I was very, very biased against them, even once they announced The Handmaid's Tale deal. I'd never read the book. I didn't have any uh, connection to that story. I thought the story was interesting once the premise came out, but. I, I, it wasn't for me, I, I figured, and I thought the series probably wouldn't be very good. I felt the same way about Amazon Prime with uh, Man in the High Castle. I still haven't gotten into that series. I have watched an episode or two. I haven't really dived in fully, but it's clear now I was wrong on that one, too. I was skeptical of them, and, and wrongly so. That's a high-quality series, and they did that one pretty early on as well. Same thing with, um, is it Transparent? Is that the name of their show featuring... Um, uh, uh, um, Jeffrey Tambor yeah. um, that Amazon has. Yeah, I mean, so they, they've got clearly some high-quality, um, award-winning shows, I, and I had not given them their due either. The thing that brought me to Hulu, though, Ashley, was TGI Friday. They bought the rights to <laughs> basically all of the TGI Friday shows. My kids had gotten, they had started watching Full House. Kelly was streaming episodes off of YouTube or something. And I hated the way it looked. It ticked me off that they were watching on my big, nice, high definition television, this like crazy pan and scan version. And it had like, (laughs) it was ripped off of a video. Obviously it was terrible. It just drove me insane. And I was like, I'm going on iTunes. I'm going to buy the whole series. And it cost me like 60 or 70 bucks or something, but I bought the whole series of full house. And by the time the kids worked their way through that, or they were almost done with it, Kelly was like, they really want to watch something else. And so she was talking about starting with home improvement. And I was like, I don't want to pay another $70 just to get home improvement and then i'm gonna have to buy hang on mr cooper and step by step and (laughs) family matters and this is gonna get expensive so uh just as i was about to start shopping around for home improvement realistically hulu announced that they had this deal and in like two months or a month and a half at that point they were going to bring the whole tgi friday lineup and so i signed up immediately for hulu i think i got like a you know a month for free or something like that and and then we started and the kids do they watch family matters now they're working their way through that they've started home improvement and they watched a couple of episodes of step by step uh but but they're going to work their way through the whole tgi friday lineup i'm going to teach them right but so that's how we that's how we came to it but once it was in the house 
then you're like, well, I have this. Let me see what else is here, right? And, right? and Kelly started using it more than me even during the day. And you're absolutely right about the frustration with technology. Hulu has a very complex app, and it seems clear to me that they don't do a whole lot of uh, great work on um, optimizing it for different platforms. I feel like they have, you know, they're like, we have a round... Uh, we have a round ball here and we're going to squeeze it through your square shaped peg, whether you want us to or not, you know? Um, and uh, it sort of works if you have a powerful enough device. We were using an older Apple TV for a while and it was failing miserably with the Hulu app. We used <laughs> like one of the little, um, what was it? We used one of the little uh, um fire sticks amazon fire sticks like not the box but just actually the uh stick itself that plugs straight into your television Uh and again it was a tragedy it would not (laughs) maintain a connection at all on hulu and it kept crashing Uh, but now we have this what is it the amazon fire cube it's like their 4k box and it works great the modern apple tv works very well and my modern ipad works great to play hulu we watch tons of stuff on hulu all the time now um so by the time this announcement was made if you had made this announcement a year ago or even honestly back in april of last year when we got the announcement that they had joined with paramount i think i would have been much more skeptical of hulu or a little bit like depressed that it wasn't netflix or wasn't hbo whereas now i am fully on board realistically particularly in light of not only the handmaid's tale which i've now caught up on but castle rock and those two series back to back two great pieces of literature uh that are used in very different ways and yet i think fairly universally satisfy their fan bases don't you think oh absolutely i mean i i am a i stephen king is my jam i mean I, I grew up on Stephen King, probably somewhat inappropriately. Um, but <laughs> I, I, the first thing I actually saw on first, I think, original content that I saw on Hulu was eleven twenty two sixty three, which was an adaptation of an unbelievably wonderful Stephen King book. If you haven't read it, it's freaking amazing. It's it involves time travel and the Kennedy assassination, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, I was not a hundred percent into that limited series frankly i'm james franco is in it and he's kind of hit or miss with me though i do i find him entertaining he's a little hit or miss for me um but that was the first thing i saw and i loved it as far as like the quality of it and i thought as an adaptation it wasn't it wasn't too bad um because that's quite i mean that's a big big book um so i was really pumped when they announced castle rock because you're just mushing up a ton of different aspects of Stephen King fandom into one show. And I think that that's, that was so appealing and fun to me. It sounded like such an exciting adventure. And then with Handmaid's Tale, um, when they first announced it, I reread it. I hadn't read it since probably high school, junior high or high school. And it resonated so strongly with me with our current, you know, current climate or current situation in the world. And, the direction that women's women's rights and things are going in. And um, it so it resonated really well with me. And then I turned around, I think that night, and started trying trying to binge watch it, which I would not recommend. <laughs> That's really dark. That's dark to watch so many episodes of that in a row. And also, I would never recommend reading it in one evening and then turning around and 
starting the, sh- the series. It's just a lot of, it's a lot to deal with emotionally, but um, it's so good. The quality of that show is unbelievable. And I think one of the strongest adaptations for television I've ever seen, because the source material, unlike the Stephen King source material that we were discussing, the source material for Handmaid's Tale is actually really small. Like, it's a small world. It's a quick read. It's a first person it's told in first person you know narration and the fact that they've been able to expand that novel that short novel into this incredible incredibly rich world is is just brilliant to me i don't i don't i'm not sure i haven't looked up and done any research on who's doing who's doing the actual like writing on the episodes but man they are that team whoever's working on that is has got a great job number one and is doing a great job number two so the thing that was interesting to me, I think, for for Hulu's choice in both of those areas, the fact that they went deep into Stephen King, you know, starting with with the eleven twenty two sixty three book, for instance, that's not one of the big ones. Um, you imagine the rights to that one were, wasn't were, it was not an astronomical deal as compared to the Castle Rock deal, for instance, um, and yet that is a fan base that you can build upon and really extend a a fairly deep little niche within your streaming service. For, for instance, if you go look now, you search for Stephen King and they have a whole section devoted to movies. They've got the the original It miniseries, you know, with with uh, Tim Curry. Uh, they've got that streaming. They've got I think they got Cujo. They've got a bunch of the older films. Um and and what a Great opportunity for them. Those are very cheap, I imagine, as far as picking up the streaming rights for a while. And yet, when you hook a new viewer, you can immediately continue to hold their eyeballs and their attention. And in a world where that's really what you're fighting for is like, at the end of the month, when when that recurring transaction goes through for Hulu or Netflix, are you mad about it? Or are you thankful that you've got another month of great content? And right now... I'm excited every month when the Hulu one goes through. And honestly, sometimes I think maybe this is the month we should turn Netflix off for a little while. Hulu has a great option. I've, I saw in the background where you can pause your subscription at any time for a, just put it on hold for a few months if you want to. Netflix does not have that. You have to turn it off effectively, which makes it feel a little bit more permanent. permanent I don't know. Right. Like a breakup. <laughs> yeah, it does. And of course, Amazon hooks you in because everybody tries to do the yearly package. You know, you paid 99 or 120 or whatever it is now and and you're like well i'm doing it for the shipping and you just get the series thrown in is the way that it feels to me anyway <laughs> that but, is 100 um, percent my validation yeah <laughs> so but now with this deal coming like honestly pausing hulu is not even an option that i think about like i'm excited about my eight bucks or my nine bucks or whatever it is and i'm sending them every month because i know a portion of that is going to prepare for this series and to make sure that they continue producing the great content that i'm enjoying right now like um, these series that we're talking about, Handmaid's Tale and Castle Rock, especially. So we don't know much now about a launch date. We don't know anything yet about casting, although now that it's been announced at Hulu, I would expect both a showrunner and your like primary two or three cast members. I'm guessing Marius will probably be one of the first ones announced because it's, as we've discussed before, likely going to be a, a name, a bigger name, and um, it's going to be, I would imagine, a less restrictive contract than for Lestat, for instance. Right, for sure. It'll be probably for, yeah, I would imagine whoever signs up as Lestat is in it 
for the long haul. You know what I mean? Like you're you're going to be this is going to be a multi-year deal. You're not going to be doing much else, you know, because in off season you're probably going to be wanting to rest. <laughs> so I I would imagine that whoever whoever signs on as Lestat is going to be I mean that's going to be a, a a pretty big contract. And that's exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, I, mean, I would think you have to lock them down for basically a decade. Yeah, and if agreed. you're the actor, you're signing up for, I'm going to do this, and if it's successful, I'm going to get to make a movie once a year, like ev- after the second season, probably. You know, right. Every year, I'll get to make one big movie, and I'll get a big fat paycheck for that, too, now, because I'm, I'll, I'll be a name. But, but if it's not successful on the other hand i might disappear because people will just remember me as the you know the vampire that nobody liked um i'm very hopeful that that's not going to be the case though so i i'm excited about this i think it's a great move on ann's part and christopher's part i think it's a solid choice for them i think it's a solid choice for the series and i'm hopeful that this is going to mean great content for us i would love and i know ashley would as well to hear from you on it we haven't really heard people responding to the hulu announcement in our facebook group a couple of people um you know saying just glad for news period but i would love to hear feedback on this specifically if you have anything you can email us articulate coven at gmail.com or find us facebook.com slash group slash Articulate Coven and uh, give us feedback there as well. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to transition now. We're going to talk a little bit, sort of like 10,000 foot level, about the series Handmaid's Tale and Castle Rock. We won't mention any spoilers on either. And then we'll move into a spoiler section on Handmaid's Tale and finish with a spoiler section on Castle Rock, since that's the newest. That way you can sort of drop off the episode as you want, folks. You've heard us mention already how much we love The Handmaid's Tale and how much we've enjoyed that adaptation. But let's talk just very briefly and generically about the two different modes of adaptation adaptation that we're talking about here and you've already sort of referenced it Ashley with Handmaid's Tale they took what is a fairly short book one one book describing you know a world in the broadest of terms basically and they have elaborated and expanded upon those moments filled it out but not drastically altered the characters or the situations or the overall thrust of the book really it's gone beyond what the book has but it hasn't really changed anything yeah, absolutely. It's a very, it's a re- especially that first season's a really clean, pretty pure adaptation. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely some expansive elements, especially when you're looking at you know the broader picture of of Gilead, which is the world that we're living in, um, and then looking beyond it, that that's kind of leaving the source material sort of behind but it's not changing it it's just expanding what's already there it's taking what was a sketch and turning it into a painting essentially uh yeah yeah oh boy that's you put it so much more beautiful than i did i, I was like it it just makes it bigger and you have <laughs> well, some poetry it's for like, it it's taking it's taking it's doing the exact opposite of like what's cool about talking about these two series kind of side by side is that it they're the way that they're adapted is exactly opposite. <laughs> so you're you're kind of it's a, a microcosm into a macro, and then the Stephen King, the Castle Rock, is more of a macro into a micro. So for anyone familiar with Stephen King's work, there are basically like three big pools of books. You have your 
books about the town of Castle Rock and the surrounding areas. So like Derry, the it books are all connected to those. You have the dark tower series. And of course, a lot of the books that take place in Maine also connect to the dark towers in some ways, but uh, those books are sort of different silos. And then you have his other series that maybe don't directly connect to either one of those, but in, in, many ways we found in his later years he's tied everything together yes um, yes <laughs> but the main books in particular always sort of held my attention i come from a small town and it turns out that small towns are more alike in the north and the south and in uh i would imagine all over the the country and the world for that matter uh than they are like big cities uh, in that same state i would think in some ways you know and the so many of the things that you see in books like Cujo and Salem's Lot and It and Insomnia and um, so many of these books that I loved reading when I was uh, in junior high and high school. It, it was the same stories that I felt like I saw in my own hometown, minus the monsters and goblins and ghouls, right? But the infidelity and the silent shame and the hidden animosities and the, you know, um, hidden race racism and not so hidden racism, all of that stuff that's in everybody's small town. And I think that's one of the reasons why Stephen King's work is so universal. The cool thing that Castle Rock as a series has done is it's not an adaptation of any of those books. It is a sequel to all of them effectively. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize this. I have, I have not read any Stephen King in several years, actually any of the newer stuff. I've been trying to go back and fill in holes basically on some of his older work that I had missed, but apparently the last book that takes place in castle rock takes place in like 1991, 1992. And the producers of this series, when they first began to sort of work on the idea of adapting and working with Stephen King on a, on a overall project. That was one of the things that they grabbed onto and they went directly and asked, could we tell the next story? <laughs> and so that's what we have. And if you ask the producers, they really consider it canon. And so like, if you want to go watch, for instance, the Shawshank Redemption, the film, and then this series, some of it takes place in Shawshank prison yeah. and that is the same Shawshank prison that Andy Dufresne escaped from. So, so like, as a matter of fact, the warden from the film, you can see his photo hanging on the wall in the prison at some point. Uh, oh my warden gosh, I missed Norton. that. Yeah, yeah. And well, and they reference him specifically by name, but there is a photo of that actor even hanging in, uh, in one of the scenes in the background. So, um, this is specifically a sequel to not just one of those books, but all of those books. And what a brilliant idea that is, because it leaves the world wide open. You can adapt and, um, you know, retail any of the pieces of it without really negating the things that we've seen and uh, read before. What a brilliant well, idea. Very different than what Handmaid's Tale is doing. Very different than what I would want the Vampire Chronicles to do, by the way. But it is a different it is another way to adapt a piece of literature and i think it's been done very successfully so far oh yeah i would i would totally agree with that and i think that i mean as i'm inter i'm really excited just to catch those little easter eggs you know what i mean um throughout it as well most of the characters that we see in the series are not characters we've seen before the sheriff is an is a um, exception to that he's that that same character has appeared in a few of the 
Castle Rock novels. Um, but outside of the sheriff, we really haven't seen those characters before. So I'm kind of interested to see what directions they go in and how we find out they're connected to characters we know. Um, and if any characters we know appear, you know what I mean? If, if anyone, if we run into anyone, like I, I got really excited when they referenced Juniper Hills, the um, asylum, um, because that's where uh, uh, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy's character in the body um, or stand by me. If you saw the film, his dad was at Juniper Hills and that's where Ola, um, Henry Bowers from It ends up at Juniper Hills. So I kind of like those little Easter eggs are so delightful to me as as a fan. I'm like, ooh, I know that place. Ooh, I, I've been there before. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, 100%. And the idea that, you know, in season two, for instance, you could have a, a episode set in Juniper Hill and then suddenly there is Bowers. You know, like you could, he could be, he could still be there, uh, literally from as as a patient. You know, these things could happen. Anyway, it's, it is a it's a fascinating way that they've done that and I am very excited to see where they're going to go moving forward. One of the uh, recent announcements just came out in the last week or so, uh, Castle Rock has been renewed for a second season. Of course, Handmaid's Tale is already through two seasons. They're headed towards a third season, well beyond the scope of the book at this point, I think. But again, as Ashley and I said, it's one of those things where they are expanding the world without altering the world. Nothing they're doing, and I don't think anything they're planning on doing is going to negate the things that you read in the book. It's just sort of additive and filler expansive. The Castle Rock stuff, I do wonder if it continues to be successful and if it goes on. I mean, does this mean that we can't get a Stephen King novel set in Castle Rock after 92? Like they've already, they've written the story for him. Is it, is it actually canon or is, <laughs> does he get to renege and write whatever he wants to after that? I mean, I guess he, he lives in a universe where we have else worlds, right? So, uh, it could just be an alternate universe version of what happens in Castle Rock, I guess. For sure. I haven't, I don't know how involved he, how, do you know how involved he is with, with the project? I don't think directly I, from the articles that I've read. I don't think he's got any actual writing input or, or ongoing, <laughs> you know, executive oversight. I, I am too. It is a like, look, man, find, you know, look at the partnership that George Martin has with uh, Weiss and Benioff on Game of Thrones. It is clearly Martin's work that inspires and, um, allows any of this to exist. No one is belittling or, 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 um, second guessing the contribution of the master but martin is not a master of film and i think stephen king has proven through his own influenced adaptations in the past i mean he has had his hands directly in some pies in the past and you know those have not been perfect masterpieces for for film or tv so i think um and i think the same thing can be said here we we've talked about the importance for ann and christopher to partner with people who truly know and understand and are the level of creative geniuses in film and television that Anne is in literature. Well, they need to find they need to find their Darabont. You know, I think that that was for me that was as far as Stephen King adaptations go. That was a big turning point with like upping the quality and upping the game of of adaptations of Stephen King's work was when Darabont got involved. And for years, I would I would say if Darabont's not doing it and it's based off anything with Stephen King I don't even want to watch it because I just was like he tells he tells those stories the right way he understands 
he understands how to tell tell Stephen King stories. Um, because he did Shawshank, he did um, Green Mile, you know, he did The Mist. Oh, The Mist was horrifying. Um, so I'm a huge, huge fan of of that partnership. So that's my 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 greatest wish for for Anne and Christopher is for them to find to find their Darabont. You know, their their showrunner, their their person who is going to really really understand how to build this world, how to create these characters, how to tell these stories in the way that the fans want to want to consume it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. That's, that's exactly what we need. Uh, is Darabon available? I don't know. What's right. he doing? <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, let's, let's move into our, our spoiler discussion. Let me just say one more thing here, uh, as a tease. If you have not started watching Castle Rock yet and you are with Ashley and I, you enjoy Stephen King's work. In particular, you enjoy the work that he and Frank Darabon have done in the past together. Here's one more tease. The same, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but the same composer that worked on Shawshank Redemption and many other, I believe he did the Green Mile as well, but the same composer that worked on Shawshank Redemption is the composer for the series Castle Rock. And you will hear the Shawshank Redemption theme occasionally when the prison shows up in the series too. So no spoilers there, but um, some welcome additions that will, will again make it all feel of a piece. So dive into that series if you like Stephen King at all. All right. So here is the the spoiler horn going off, folks. We are going to discuss first and foremost a Handmaid's Tale, uh, and and our thoughts specifically about the series and some of the um, individual moments and character development. Um, let me tell you first and foremost my biggest problem with the series, Ashley, because we've gushed over it a lot. Here is. Of all the terrible things, and you mentioned it earlier, like it's a hard show to binge. You tried to watch it all at once. You tried to watch it back yeah. to back, and it's like, what am I doing to myself? In in many ways, it seems so much harder than something like Game of Thrones or or Deadwood or Westworld or any of those shows ever are because it is so close to something you could imagine happening. Uh, it is it is not far from the imaginable. So my biggest problem in watching the series is not the scenes of rape. It's not the scenes of physical violence. It is, it's not any of that. My biggest problem watching this series, and it's more so in this series than in any other I've ever watched, the infidelity hurts me. Really? Badly. <laughs> yeah. Really? So, yeah. So the, the series, for obviously, if you're this far into it, either you've watched it or you're not interested in watching it, the series is about um, young women uh, fertile women being forced into servanthood for the wealthy elites in a post-apocalyptic America. Uh, it is called um, Gilead is the name of the country. And the elites have handmaids that bear their children in a monthly ceremony of, of forced rape. It's, it's fairly terrible. But the main character finds a relationship with one of the one of her commanders, one of her owners, um, uh, uh, other servants, effectively one of the low men. He's not a, a, an elite. He is uh, one of the servant class. He works as the driver and they fall in love, honestly, but she's got a husband. <laughs> like she, she has a family before all of this starts. And she discovers in the course of the series that her husband is still alive. Uh, I don't blame her 
for falling for this man. I don't blame her for seeking solace and physical comfort with someone. I imagine I would do similar in similar circumstances. It's a very human response to your oh, situation. For sure. For sure. But at the totally same time, <laughs> the ongoing nature of that infidelity just hurts me. I just, it makes me more uncomfortable than anything else in the show. The violence I understand and she bears it so well. And it's, you can see in her face, she is not defeated. She is not overcome. You know, the, the, they may own her body, but they don't own her mind and they won't own her body forever. You know, like that is the message of the series over and over and over again. And so when those horrible moments come, it does not hurt me. But I know even in an, an eventual imagined happy ending, when she and her husband and her family are reunited north of the border in the safe confines of Canada, she will have still slept around on her husband by choice many times with a man that she cared about and perhaps still cares about. And that breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah, I totally thought you meant um, like the infidelity with the commanders so i when you first started talking i was like what in the world why why is that what bothers him like the no, commanders no, no, no. sleeping with the handmaids so i totally can see your point um i do think it's um it's gonna make for a real awkward reunion down the line for sure um and you know there's it's definitely implied multiple times that her the baby she just had in season two is actually the driver's baby and not Waterford's. Oh yeah, that, almost definitely. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much a, th- a confirmed thing. So there's that added aspect to it as well. Um, yeah, I can I totally see that point. I, what bothers me, I think, what bothers me the most is the psychological warfare that's used against these women that are being held in captivity, Oof. and. And like the season, season two opens with one of the most, like, I just sat and like scream cried over it. And I was, I watched it in the bathtub. That's where I stream many of my television shows is from the bathtub. Um, I was watching it in the tub and I just sat in the tub, just scream crying over that scene where they were like, they all thought they were about to get hanged. Um, It was so intense. It was so, so horrifying. And it was so, oh, it was so visceral to me it just it just bothered me so much and they were just fucking with them you know like they were just scaring them they were just showing them how little control they have and those scenes those scenes where we're reminded because there are times that you almost forget how awful the world that they've created is like not long times but like you know things will be going along kind of okay for a little while and you're like oh everything's maybe maybe so and so is on her side maybe everything's going to be okay and then everything just goes to hell in a handbasket you know and that's the stuff that really really sits with me horribly and there also you know you do get a little desensitized to the you know the monthly ceremony but there was there was a rape scene where they were trying to induce labor that was the most horrifying thing i've ever watched on television like i i was completely horrified um like i thought i was gonna vomit and i have a lot of friends who can't watch the show like literally especially lady friends who are like i can't watch that it is like i don't it's not entertaining i was like well it's not really about 
entertaining. It's not supposed, this isn't an entertaining show. You don't watch it because you're like, oh, wow, what a great episode. That was sure fun. You know, it's not friends. It's not, (laughs) it's not a hoot. So it is, it is, so I, I don't know. It's, it's lessons. It's, it's, it's things we need to be paying attention to. And it's, and it's so much more than entertainment, you know, and I get that it's hard to watch. It is really hard to watch. And a lot of it can be super triggering, depending on your personal life experience and things like that. So I understand not being able to get through it 100%. But I make myself watch it even when it horrifies me. So I, you're you're absolutely right. That is not for everyone, and anyone is entitled to absolutely control and limit their own pop culture intake oh, to sure. to protect themselves and to keep safe boundaries. God knows, in this time and and day, with the news stories that we are seeing and being bombarded by constantly, we don't need to add to our horror. However, I would say that always throughout history. Literature has enabled us to experience horror and tragedy and sadness and victory and accomplishment and overcoming obstacles and all of the different elements of the human experience from the comfort and safety of our own home and armchair. It allows us to see beyond our own front door and our own hometown and our own experiences and our own skin and the Modern television landscape is not a replacement for literature. That's not what I'm saying. However, I am saying that television in some of its forms absolutely in the modern era has risen to the level of art that is achieved by literature. And for many people in their day-to-day life through habit or hurry or whatever the case may be, do not have the time or the inclination or the ability. Like maybe they just don't have even literally the vocabulary or the understanding to really dive into a book and to build that headspace for themselves so that they can have the experience with it that you and I had as kids. Not everyone is a reader. That's just true. Yeah, absolutely. So is it wrong to extend that experience and those enlightened thoughts and conversations and ideas and discussions and concepts to people that don't read or that can't read or that won't read, you know, on an ongoing basis that won't read a full novel. Like, no, I don't think that's wrong. I I don't think it's wrong at all to extend these tough conversations and tough concepts and, and challenging ideas and storylines to people who watch television. Oh, I totally agree. And the fact that, and the fact that you and I who do experience it on the page, as well as, experience it on television the fact that you and i can revisit it in a more concise form through the eyes and editing of a different set of creators like why wouldn't we go and revisit the i listen i love the rolling stones and i love their version of wild horses but i think the flying burrito brothers version is better like there you aretha franklin covered respect folks that's an otis redding (laughs) song you know what i mean like so anyway uh i i think that that the idea that you like belittle it or toss it off or say that it's it's not it's only entertainment and so it shouldn't be this challenging uh is is wrong i think so um that's what i'm going to say about that now um i will say the you were absolutely right about the the indoctrination scenes they're horrible 
the other thing that is super frustrating to me is the fact that this woman keeps going back to her captors. And yes, what in the world, June? She's for Christ's been, sake, she's been like she's had options to escape a couple of times now in the series. Like realistically, had a shot at freedom. And for different reasons, reasons you understand, reasons that make sense in the course of the series, um, reasons that I might even agree with if, you know, as a parent. But holy moly, man, like, no, we don't need to, uh, we, we, you got to stay on that truck at the end of season two. She, oh my God. she just, she broke my heart. There are, there are people there. You can join the freedom fight from Canada, dude. Like, go. Yeah. And you actually would have help then, and you would not be in the, crappiest of situations if you know like please please go meet up with your friends and family and then go get your daughter you could still go get your daughter going to canada does does not mean that you can't go back and get your daughter oh yes i was very very frustrated with with her the several times this season i was like what are we doing june what are we doing the the wife character the primary wife uh, serena joy is it right yes yes okay she the way that they have added to her character in the series versus what and i'm not done with the book yet i'm listening to the audiobook again as i think i mentioned on the show before but the things that the way that they fully fleshed her out as a character uh it's again there just seems to be more depth in the series than there is in the book and of course there's more content in the end now through two seasons but i've been super impressed with that she's a great actress too I've, i've loved her in lots of things over the years i am desperate though to see what happens next with her what is the resolution of her storyline uh and in particular how we find some sort of i i think this is a finite series too by the way i really don't think that there's six or seven seasons in this story i i think the third or fourth one might be as far as you would want to take it because you're going to get into the minutia and it's really, it becomes a different thing um, than it, than I think they were aiming for at that point, but to give her resolution and some sort of like finality to the arc that they've laid out for her, I think would be impressive and, and worthwhile. I would love obviously to see her get some revenge and to see her, I don't know, add to the crumbling of the empire that she was so responsible for building. Yeah, I think that they've really they've really been able to give all the characters some depth that I didn't necessarily expect going into it. Um and I felt, you know, I go back and forth on that character a lot like on Serena feeling sympathy for her and then feeling like complete and utter betrayal. You know, she's such they really have made that character a lot more complex. And again, you know, when you're, when you read it, it's all first person. Like I, uh, and I mean, I could be wrong about that, but if I remember correctly, it's, it's pretty much, you know, first person narration, you're getting June's, it's all June's perspective. You know, it's, mm. if you're all seeing everything through June's eyes. And so to see kind of, to get to see kind of where these other characters are coming from good, bad and ugly, I think has really, really enriched the story down to like um, commander Waterford is a horrible human being and, um, and is even more reveals himself to be even more horrible as you go along. You know, I I think in, in season one, you kind of got the impression that maybe he had some redeemable qualities, but at this point, I just am like, you're a total scumbag. And I really like you, Joseph Fiennes, but I'm really, really would punch you in the face if I saw you on the street. 
Oh God, um, you're so right. I so on him in particular in the first season, I thought, especially towards the end, as you're beginning to see like the beginnings of the Republic of Gilead and how they first formed their their current laws. I thought, oh, this is going to be the example of how even the patriarchy in this extreme patriarchal society don't really get what they want in the end. Like, yes, they are they are in a better position than others in society, but it's not a happy life for them either. And I thought that's the way the story was going. You are so the turn and the moment to me that I mean, there are lots of terrible moments. He is a person who does endless terrible things over the course of the series. But the moment of complete irredeemability in my mind was, and you already referenced it when he rapes her at the basically the moment of birth like she is she's ready to give birth at any moment now and to try to force labor he rapes her again it is so abhorrent and and was just like <sighs> it's one of those it's like uh, like the moment and again mild spoilers for a couple of seasons ago in game of thrones it's like getting to watch uh, the Bolton kid get eaten by his dogs. I now I want real punishment for this man. Oh yeah, know? for sure, for sure. I I really hope something completely dreadful happens to him. Yes, let's feed him to dogs. I'm into that. Let's do that. All right, there we go. That's our prediction for season Fiend. three. Waterford <laughs> feeding feeding himself to dogs. I'm all about it. We, see if we could get. We need Brian Fuller as a executive producer. He could bring Hannibal over, and Hannibal could feed him to the dogs. It would see, work great. Or eat him. Just eat him. I don't care. <sighs> With Terrible. a side of uh, fava beans and a nice and Chianti. Nice Chianti. Yeah. Um, okay, so so now here we are. Uh, we're going to move over. Spoiler horn once more. Let's move over and talk about Castle Rock a little bit. So Castle Rock, less to discuss, I suppose, and, and still many mysteries for us. Uh, we, we are both through episode six. Uh, the name of that episode was The Filter. And um, I believe as we're releasing this podcast episode there's already another one live on who excuse me on hulu uh, but we haven't seen that one yet so let's start with this uh you referenced him already uh, sheriff alan pangborn uh retired sheriff at this point played in the series by scott glenn yeah scott glenn i it's funny my wife said where do we know him from and i immediately without reservation said he was kill bill honey and then i went no wait a minute <laughs> he's not <laughs> That was oh, not Kill no. Bill. He was, um, he was. He played Crawford in Silence of the Lambs. He was uh, the head of the behavioral science unit in Silence of the Lambs. He was in the right stuff. I love Scott Glenn. I love him. So the 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 current reference for me and what I have in my head for his voice is Stick from the Daredevil series on Netflix, and also he appears in the Defenders uh, as well, the crossover series. He plays the mentor for Daredevil. He's a yes. blind kung fu master. Uh, maybe he's ancient. Maybe he's not. We're not exactly sure how old his character is in the series. And I think that was the connection to me. I put I put him and Bill together in my head, not only because they look a little alike. But also because they're both these sort of like aged kung fu masters with with a little sass too. Um, but what a great choice for Pangborn, I think. In, in particular, the before this, the reference for Pangborn for me is Ed Harris in the Needful Things yes. uh, TV, uh, excuse me, movie. Um, one of my favorite adaptations of Stephen King. Period. One of my favorite books from Stephen King. Actually, I love Needful Things. I love the story. Anytime the devil comes to town and we have to do. Um, 
you know, battle with him directly. I find that very thrilling. I also really enjoy when the devil doesn't need minions, he uses us and our own selfishness and greed and avarice, et cetera, et cetera, as his minions. I think that is a more true and a more uh, insightful view on the human experience than, than most of the other versions of good versus evil that we see in literature. So, uh, I was excited that this character plays such a big role in the series. I'm very excited to see potentially connections to the story of Needful Things. For instance, we have this character of the kid who, in th- at the end of episode one, we're led to believe, or at least the the former warden was led to believe this this boy uh, played by Bill Skarsgård is the devil. Uh, very clearly there is some sort of evil that follows him or is attracted to him or emanates from him or however you want to describe it. But definitely no good things happen when he is around. That is clear in the course of the series, even through the first two or three episodes, whether he is any relation to uh, Mr. Gaunt, the character from Needful Things. That's something that I'm very much looking forward to because again, we know this sheriff has already literally faced down the devil. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, um, it, okay, I have to say, it freaks me out because this actor also plays Pennywise. Yes! The new adaptation of It. So that's in the back of my mind, too. Like, I can't, I'm trying to figure out if that's an intentional casting or if that's just an incidental casting. Um, but that's really, I don't know, I can't get that out of my head. It bothers me, I guess, to some po- to some degree, because it's hard for me to look at him and not, and not put that clown face on him. Um and because it's because of the material it just i don't know like that seems like such a specific casting choice to make there's probably lots of actors that could have played that so i part of me just wonders too if it's like if it's like that rebirth of evil you know what i mean um we see it with uh with flag in in many of stephen king's works where flag is a character that we see repeatedly in different iterations and um and so part of me is like, is this the monster coming back? But I do think, too, you hit the nail on the head talking about how um, the use of people to commit the atrocities that you want to have, that you want to commit, as far as like the devil not using minions, but using people, that's classic Stephen King. I mean, the people are the monsters and that's like an underlying theme in a lot of the in a lot of the dairy books and a lot and in, in a lot of the castle rock books it's the the evil the evil that's simmering below the surface of people and i i'm so i'm so excited to kind of see how that plays out in this in this adaptation as well there's a great quote the um the prison guard uh, I, I can't remember his name now, but the prison guard that we get to know and then eventually commit suicide. And uh, I think about episode four uh, or so, um, he says at one point, bad things happen in Castle Rock because bad people know they can get away with it here. Yes. And that is to me like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe you do live over a hell mouth, <laughs> but it's not the it's it's not spike <laughs> that is causing uh the rash of deaths in your town it's the fact that everybody knows that your neighbors are going to look the other way 
and so all the all the monsters move to town um it is a it is a fascinating series so far to me you i had not really thought about the fact and and you referenced it earlier that pangborn's really the only like ongoing character actually from another series there have been a lot of references um the warden specifically mentions um uh, he talks about Cujo. He doesn't call him by name, but he, right. he references, don't, don't you remember the dog? Don't you remember the strangler? You know, there's references to the dead zone. Uh, there's references to the body. There's references to the, to stand by me, the film yes. and, and the story stand by Finding me. the body. Yeah. So like, all of these things are there in the background working around. I love the character of Jackie Torrance. Let's talk about her for a minute. First of all, <laughs> her name. Uh, and I, I don't know the actress's name, but to me, it is like they tried very hard to hire the blonde girl from Community. And they could not get her, so they hired this young actress instead and changed her hairstyle. Am I wrong? You know who I'm talking about? No. Okay, hang on. Let me. I'm gonna look up her. I'm gonna look up this this actress's name. Uh, so so Jane, the, Jane Levy is playing Jackie Torrance. What what is her What is the actress's name? Jane Levy. Jane Levy. Okay, so Allison, not Allison Brie. Jillian Jacobs is the one that I'm thinking about. Uh, she played Britta in the show Community, and she's okay. now got her own series on Netflix. She does a show. What is it? Is it called Love? I think. Uh, yeah, Love. She was in Love, and there's um, Life of the Party. She was in the new movie Life of the Party too. Um, but anyway, she's got that like very. First of all, again, she's very sassy. She's like, I don't care. She's a very attractive girl, but she looks like she doesn't want you to think she ever tries to be attractive kind of girl. You know what right. I mean? Which is very much going on with the Jackie Torrance character. Anyway, the whole character to me screams, we tried to hire Jillian Jacobs and Jillian was unavailable because she works at Netflix. And so we hired this woman instead but maybe that's my own um uh, maybe that's my own limited knowledge where do you know this actress from um i don't you know i've seen her in a couple of things i was just kind of scrolling through imdb she was in that series suburgatory that's where i recognize her from um mm. like that's where i recognize her face from i didn't really watch that show but i i recognize that her recognize her from that and she was that played kind of like um a sarcastic kind of, I mean, to me, the type she's playing is very on point for that actress and what I've seen her in before. Kind of like that sort of sardonic, kind of knowing, sort of sarcastic kind of friend. She's definitely fulfilling that type of role in this. The name, though, it's clearly like the Jack Torrance was the dad from um, The Shining. <laughs> And so the second I heard her name, I, I burst out laughing because it's literally like just a, a, a real blatant reference to the to the dad from The Shining. Uh, wait a minute. She was in the Evil Dead remake from 2013. Yes, she's she not was. she's not the new she's not the replacement for Ash, is she? No, she thinks she was the girl. Oh, the, the like the one that gets possessed or whatever. Okay. Yeah, but I could um, be wrong about that, too. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Okay, well, I, my, my, uh, me a couple to Jane then. I, uh, my apologies. Uh, I, I will try to get, uh, better acquainted with your work. I will say this. I like her a lot in the role, and you're absolutely right. She references at one point in the show, uh, Jackie is not her name. She is a, like a cousin or maybe a great niece or something like that to Jack Torrance and his wife, one would imagine. But, um, because her family 
never talks about what happened to them. The fact that he went crazy and killed his family uh, or tried to kill his family in a, in a hotel one time. She uses the, she took on the name basically to piss off her parents and in reference to the fact that she also wants to be a writer like Jack Torrance from The Shining. The interesting thing to me, though, on that is that means that Dr. Sleep exists in this world, right? I mean, that means that Danny yeah. is out there somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I love it. I like I there's so many directions they can go. And, and even if they don't go in any of those directions, you know, it's an option. You know what I mean? So it's always going to that's always going to be an undercurrent to it for me personally, as as this like long term Stephen King reader, like the options are so endless and so it makes me want to watch more and see more of the series because i they could go in so many delightful directions that would bring back or reference beloved or hated characters from you know from 30 40 years worth of novels it's pretty awesome Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Um, Sissy Spacek. We haven't mentioned uh, Sissy Spacek as um, the the main character's mother. Um, and, of course, she originally started her run with Stephen King stories. She plays Ruth Deaver in the series. She originally started uh, as Carrie. She played yes. Carrie in the original adaptation of that film. Um, how many times have they remade that now? Three or four already? Yeah. I yeah. love... I love the fact that they brought Sissy back for this, though, and she's really, really good in the role, too. She's awesome, and she is rocking that main accent, too. Like, she's, I think she really, really did her research as an actor. Like, she sounds amazing. She's really the only one that's kind of delved in and really approached the dialect, I feel like. But I think that she sounds amazing and is, is obviously killing it, you know. It's a complicated character, and I think it's. She's yeah, she's fabulous. That was great casting. Um, so the the surprise to me, and I didn't know this actress, and I didn't have much expectation for the character at first either. But I've really grown to love her. Is Molly Strand, um, the the next door neighbor for the main character, Will Deaver, or excuse me, Henry Deaver? Um, uh, Molly plays the real estate agent in town. She is uh, played by Melanie Linsky, and um, the character seems to be at least having a bit of the shining. I mean, you, you can't call it any other thing than that. It is, it is the shining. That is clearly what it is. She's, she hasn't called it that yet. She doesn't seem to have ever been trained or, um, mentored by anyone who has any abilities. But at the same time though, she does reference the fact that she's got a long family history in the area. She, there's a, in one of the latter episodes she's on TV and she talks about being like a fifth generation maniac. Um, I wonder if she's also a fifth generation practitioner of, you know, the um, empathic arts or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I really, her character is, is really interesting to me. And I love that they're introducing like a potential drug problem with her trying to mute out the, the shine, you know, um, I think that's also a classic, <laughs> a classic Stephen King trope as well. Um, I'm trying to figure out like, and I've kind of been just kind of cycling through, trying to figure out if her name, if that reference, if, if, if there's characters that I can attach her to, but I haven't, I haven't been able to do that yet. I haven't been able to remember, but that name, the last name sounds familiar. 
You so know? it does, and a lot of the la- uh, many of the last names are connected. One of the things that I've been doing actually to sort of shortcut this, um, I I don't have a podcast, unfortunately, to recommend for Handmaid's Tale. I haven't dived in there. I'm sure there are a couple in the Apple Podcast Store and and elsewhere for you. But I will say, if you're interested in Castle Rock and you want to follow those King connections, especially especially things from the novels, they're doing a great job discussing that stuff on a show I've started listening to called The Castle. Castle Rock Zone. It's from some buddies of mine over at Golden Spiral Media. There's a link in the show notes for it. But uh, Castle Rock Zone podcast. Look that up. They're putting out one episode for each one of the episodes on the show. And they are, again, diving very deep. Each week they're talking about, like, they're focusing on um, highlighting, I guess, one movie uh, and or book. And they're putting all the links in in their show notes that you can go and follow up on. So, like, I think this past week... Carrie was the episode that they talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, They focused on uh, the stand um, as far as like the different things that were referenced in that episode. But many of like the last names they've been pulling up and going, oh, that happens to be, you know, this guy's. For instance, here's one example. Desjardins, the family, uh, the the two brothers that may or may not have held Henry Deaver in the box at some point when he was a child. Um, The Desjardins are related to or excuse me one of the Desjardins the one that's dead the older brother that's dead was a member of the gang in Stand By Me um he he's in that book he's like one of the ancillary sort of um ruffians and um there are a bunch of other connections like that that they've brought up that I just hadn't noticed or had overlooked so it's been really really good to hear that and that way you don't have to dive too deep into the Wikipedia holes it can be <laughs> it can be challenging to try to follow them all yeah. back But I do like to sort of get a hint of where they might be going with these characters. And when it's clear that they've laid out a clue in the name or a connection to a family member or or a past story for this house or that family or whatever, um, just because they haven't you know, really spelled it out in the series yet doesn't mean that that's not coming down the road. So if you are a big Stephen King fan, it's cool. Yeah, it makes me really happy that they're doing that because he does that himself in his writing. You know, like we've already kind of touched on that, but there's literally references, character references, references to other places, like within his writing itself, references to other books. You know, there's a um, a reference in in the stand that refers back to um, uh, something that happens in oh not in the stand in it something that happens back in the the shining that's referenced in the shining so i i just i love that's something as a reader i enjoy so much so i'm so glad that the show is incorporating some of that even if it's just in like easter egg form even if it's just for us to like hear and think oh i remember that from you know from this book or from that book um so i love that they're kind of mirroring his own his own tactics agreed agreed so hopes for the series moving forward we've still got probably i'm I'm actually not sure how many episodes we're going to get in the first season uh there's there six deep so far i would guess we've we've got at least 12 total maybe 13 uh, at the most uh for the first season and it's already been renewed for a second season the cool thing or one of the cool things that i think about this is that um they have said each season of this show will be a contained storyline 
They have not said whether or not characters will move forward and continue from season to season. So we could go to a completely different place in the timeline for Castle Rock, for instance. They could tell a story from the 1800s one season if they wanted to. Fast forward and tell a story from the future if they wanted to. Um, we could have a whole season where they tell the story of needful things, for instance, uh, or it even if you wanted to. I think that's very interesting possibilities, um, and all of those are there. Here's what I hope. I hope we do have some ongoing characters. I would love to see, for instance, especially Scott Glenn and Bill Skarsgård continue. I think both of them bring a lot of weight to their characters. I think those um Characters by their nature of what we know about them so far, and in particular with with Alan Pangborn because of his past history, I think they could make them a very grounding influence while at the same time providing a lot of uh, opportunities and alternatives without closing too much off. So I think those uh, allow for the most potential, even if you want to shift things pretty drastically, Uh, especially with... Skarsgård and that character, if he if he turns out to truly be ageless, as seems to be implied so far, um, you know, you could go back to the 1800s and still have Skarsgård be the bad guy at the end of the season. You know, if you wanted to, that would be pretty compelling to me. I think it is most likely that we're going to discover eventually that he is either not actually a malevolent influence that the that the evil is drawn to him in some fashion but that he is actually a guardian or a, or some sort of a being for the light side of things or alternatively i think it is possible that he could be an incarnation of flag not the devil as he has answered directly no i'm not the devil he said that but he is an emissary of the crimson king uh if that's the case if he is uh, randall flag and i think that it's I think that it's possible that he could be that underling. Um, it would That would be the most exciting to me, is if we get to have a few seasons with him playing his will out uh, on this town in different ways and, and coming into his own. Potentially, and this is something that's occurred to me actually uh, just in the last episode or two, it might be that he is a, a being like that, that he is a Randall flag, and that part of the process of his incarceration or whatever happened to him before it uh, has resulted in him losing his memories. You know, he well, knows he, he is a being of power, but he doesn't actually know who he is. Yeah. And when flag doesn't always remember. Exactly. You know? Exa- like, that's my thought too. Yeah. Always. Sometimes when you, when you come through the worlds, when you, when you move from world to world, things can happen. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so th- some really compelling opportunities there. And I love him as an actor, I think you already mentioned the the reference to Pennywise. Like, I don't believe that he is Pennywise. I do think that this casting is not by accident. And I think it should suggest something to us of those elder God forces that King often hints to, but doesn't come directly out and talk about much in his stories. You know, we've talked about it's, it's always the, the human bad guys, the the little minions on the ground, not the greater forces at play, but you do occasionally get a glimpse of what those greater forces are. I think it's possible that that that's what that could be as well, and that's very exciting to me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see how how all of that plays out and how they define that character a little bit more specifically as as it goes along, and 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 to see how much is you know is a bait and switch, you know, like you said, like. Is he evil or is evil just attracted to him? You know, I, I any direction they go, I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. But I, I do love I do love the idea of him being some sort of flag type character. That's 
that's excellent to me. I mean, but he's Flag is my old school favorite villain, you know. <laughs> Well, he's the first villain in so many ways. I mean, you, you know, the way that King has portrayed him over the years, he very much comes off as that archetypical, epic level bad, you know? And I and having that at the center of your series, again, played by somebody like Skarsgård, I think is just fine. Uh, you know, we've talked about the connection to Pennywise, and maybe that casting was on purpose. On the flip side, Skarsgård is one of the weirdest-looking actors in Hollywood and is capable of that, like, ongoing menacing evil more than maybe anybody else around. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but he's in a Netflix series. What is the name of, what is the name of his... Uh, Netflix series. Um, it's vampires and werewolves and whatnot. Uh, Hemlock Grove. Uh, it went for three seasons, I think, on Netflix. Uh, Famke Jansen plays his mother in that series, and they are some sort of vampires. It's not. Uh, we haven't finished it yet, and it's never really exactly explained what they are. But um, yeah, that is a very cool series, and he plays this brooding menacing maybe possibly unhinged evil you know all the way through that series as well very 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 cool stuff and i he's one of my favorites actually if you're looking for a bad guy it's like him or um what's the kid from american horror story um you know who i'm talking about the uh the blonde kid on american horror story oh yeah he, yeah what is his name ethan something hang on i'm looking it up I'm way wrong. Evan. Evan Peters. <laughs> Evan Peters. Yeah, he played Quicksilver in the X-Men movies, too. Yes, but yes, like, yes. He, he is so terrifying to me in the American Horror series, and I feel like we've got our version of that in Skarsgård for Castle Rock. He was horrifying as Pennywise. He scared the hell out of me. And there is, you know, I, I loved Tim Curry. I, Tim Curry's Pennywise to me was terrifying and fantastic and caught that like funny edge of the character too like really caught all sides of it but the cool thing i think about um this new iteration this new uh, version of it that came out was that he looks the way he's described in like when they're looking at the old school photographs of him like the old historic photos that they find pennywise in the background of he is dressed like that that's how the character looks and so there's so many things about about it that look that to me look more like the way he was described in the book so i find it so much more horrifying than i found tim curry because tim curry really caught like the that funny sort of edge of the character that menacing but like humor with it whereas like there is not much of that in in this new iteration of pennywise he is freaking horrifying so scary Agreed. Agreed. I was a big, big fan of, well, I'm just a big fan of Tim Curry, period. And I was a huge fan of that original miniseries. I, oh, I thought too. it was super, super good. Uh, it was well adapted. They told the story well. They changed some things. For instance, I had for, I'd completely forgotten. <laughs> I had completely forgotten until... Um, the new adaptation of it came out that in the book it <laughs> the kids finish off killing pennywise and then have an orgy in the sewers i'd totally oh, yeah. forgotten <laughs> oh yeah one of the most unnecessary scenes in all of literature <laughs> 
totally forgotten that that was there until the movie came out and people started talking about how are they going to handle this? And, um, uh, when I went back and like sort of went over that, I was like, Oh man. Cause in my head, I guess I had just given all of that. The re- I, I remembered the miniseries more than the book. Really. I remembered Tim Curry. So the fact that once, once I went through the movie that Skarsgård didn't bother me, that I didn't come out of it, like complaining about Skarsgård's performance in relation to Curry's, um, I was very impressed. I, I think, Again, it doesn't replace what he what went before. It's a very different choice on everything, but it's like, in many ways, it's like Jack Nicholson's Joker and Heath Ledger's Joker. Absolutely, it is a different thing for a different time and a different version of the story. That's a really, really, a really good comparison. Actually, I think that that's very, very accurate. Like, because uh, I agree, I loved, I loved the miniseries. I think that there were, I, I think they captured like the kids part of it was better than the adults part because i think that that's there's just something that about it that's maybe a little hard to act if you don't you have to really you have to be so genuine in your acting choices when you're playing something so supernatural um if you don't believe it if you think it's stupid if you feel self-conscious as an actor that comes across in the performance and i think that that did hang up a couple of the adult performers in the miniseries um so i'm a little bit more trepidatious about the second film for that reason. Um, but I think that I think they knocked this first one out of the park. It was so good and scary and really well cast. I feel like the adult cast for the second this for the second film is amazing and really on point too. So I think that I think that we have a really good movie to look forward to in that. The only thing that I'm mad about with the um with the adult cast is that Amy Adams was not cast as the adult version of the girl. Um, who did they cast for the adult version of the girl? It's uh, Jessica Chastain, yeah, right? I, th- I think she's perfect. She's great. I agree with you. But the young actress has so many mannerisms that are the same as Amy Adams. I could not help but imagine her like I honestly was confused watching her play the the first version of it here this this first adaptation the children's side of the story I like I was just sure they had to cast I was like they must have already got Amy signed or else why would you cast this girl and why would you have her act this way like honest to goodness go back with within your mind go look at some of those scenes from it and tell me that she is not playing Amy Adams it's crazy it's crazy. <laughs> I will have to um, look at that. Jessica Chastain was my choice. She was my and, number one choice. And she's going to be great. No, there's no doubt she's going to be great. And in uh, some ways, I think it will likely cause like maybe a shift in that character as she moves into adulthood. You'll see that transition more maybe than if it was was Amy. Um, I'm very excited. I, I like anything you put Ewan McGregor in. <laughs> I was not he. I was not expecting him for Bill, but I like anything you put Ewan McGregor in. So I'm down for that. Um, by the way, he was just injured on set. Did you see that? He no. Uh, yes, he he. Um, what did what did he do? He sprained both of his thighs fighting Pennywise. Apparently, <laughs> Obi Wan, you have to take better care of yourself. I know, right? That's what he's getting on up there in years. Um, so anyway, folks, Castle Rock and Handmaid's Tale both. We cannot recommend them enough on Hulu. Check them out now. And I think overall. Those two series and the rest of what we've seen come out about this series and in, in development um, should have us very, very positive and hopeful for the uh, stories of our favorite vampires. I think uh, the future is very bright. Yes, indeed. We have much to look forward to. 
Um, so Ashley, before we go, I want to remind people that they can find us, of course, always at articulatecoven.com. They can find us on Apple podcasts. You can listen to us in Spotify. You can find us in Stitcher radio and in pocket casts and all sorts of other podcast apps, basically anywhere that you find podcasts. Um, however, I, I have some interesting news. I'm going to have to stop saying that we are the only uh, podcast about Anne Rice and the uh, Vampire Chronicles in Apple Podcasts. Now we have company. Uh, <gasps> someone Ashley. joined us? We do. Someone did. Uh, in June was the first episode. I have not listened to this show yet, um, but it's out there, uh, and I wanted to mention it. I feel a little flattered. I'm sure they didn't get the name from us, uh, but I'm still going to claim it anyway. Uh, they are known as the Coven of the Inarticulate. <laughs> <laughs> and are on Apple Podcasts uh, as well. It, it, something's wrong with their feed. Their order, their episodes don't seem to be in order. But anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to listen to that. And I, I did want to mention them. Um, uh, we we could be a little flattered. We have company now in the uh, the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, the more the merrier, folks. Everybody needs to come and cover Ian Rice, and everybody needs to cover our beloved Lestat. Um, Soon, we will be back with you with an episode discussing The Queen of the Damned. We're covering the novel first, and then we'll go into the film adaptation starring the late, great Aaliyah. I'm very excited for that. Yes, I, that movie is terribly terrible and excellent. I, I'm very excited to talk about it. It's a uh, terrible adaptation, but there's some. it's got a great soundtrack. <laughs> it's got a great soundtrack and ain't that what you always want to say about your movie uh, you know. it's got a great soundtrack <laughs> um folks we want you to uh leave us a review check us out if you're enjoying the show leave us a review in apple Podcasts. that's helpful for other people to find us uh here's the latest one this comes from sir glitch from france uh five stars i'm so glad this podcast exists and we are so glad uh, that it exists as well we'll try to make more of it so that it can exist longer uh and more satisfyingly for all of you until we speak to you again. This has been the Articulate Coven, the unofficial podcast and fan community for Anne Rice and her Vampire Chronicles TV series. I have been one of your hosts, Joel Sharpton. And I'm Ashley Red Eiler. And we are the Articulate Coven. Thanks for listening to the Articulate Coven. You can join our community on Facebook by following the links in the show notes or searching for Articulate Coven on Facebook. You can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at ArticulateCoven.com and share us with your Anne Rice-loving friends. Articulate Coven.